Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I'm joined today by Tish Hamilton. Hello, Tish. It's been a while. Hello, Sarah. I'm so glad to be back with you. Yes, yes, yes. That pesky job of yours was getting in the way of your recording. <laughs> I hate it when that happens. <laughs> <laughs> but a, a new uh, term has started at school, so you can now make this happen. I am, I'm delighted to be able to make this happen. So Good. thank you for having me. Good. Yes, yes. So are you headed to Boston this weekend? This year, I am not going to the Boston Marathon, but I, like many runners, am seeing lots of uh, Instagram posts and mm-hmm. social media posts about it. And it always makes me feel a little bit like, oh, Boston, I wish I were going. Yes, yes. Yesterday, I went for a swim at the health club that I now swim at. And there were three women just going over all their gear that they were packing. And should they try a new spy belt? You know, should they give it a try on their run? They She worried it was going to, you know, mess with her shorts, like make them ride up and all this stuff. And oh, yes, 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 yes. So and they were all saying they were going to be wearing shorts at Boston. It's probably going to be warm. It's always warm in April in Boston. But I got to say, now, now, is, that, yeah. now, that, now that you're saying all that, it's like, I do not miss all the pre-race panic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which starts a good, you know, it starts a good week out before Boston, especially for your, your this the people who have to travel a good long ways, right? I was just gotta, about to say, yeah. Going about what you got to pack. Mm-hmm, going all the way across the country, you know, with all the flight delays we have these days. It's just, it's an undertaking. Yeah, it's stressful. And the end of time, dealing with a time change. And I mean, even going from New Jersey, which was in the same same time zone, you know, mm-hmm. you're thinking about all the food you need to take or figure mm-hmm. out where you're going to eat and, and mm-hmm. all that stuff. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's stressful when it you're, is. especially when you've got marathon mania mm-hmm. beforehand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but I'm sure we'll both be watching, you know, a live stream of it. So that'll be absolutely. fun. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So speaking of travel, you and I have been doing a lot of it. Uh, largely, it turns out for kind of family reunions. Yeah, you just came from a family reunion yourself. I did outside of Memphis. And it was a very small family reunion. It was my brother, his wife, his 28 year old son, my sister, myself and my two daughters. John couldn't come along. My son couldn't come along because he's in uh, loads of rehearsal for a show they're having in downtown. Four shows they're having in downtown Portland next week. So, wow. Yes. And Tennessee is your was your where your father was from? Yes, yes, good memory. Yes, he grew up the family split time between Memphis and Chicago and sometimes Florida. They it was during the depression so they kind of bounced around a bit. So anyway, my brother lives outside of Atlanta and he knew of this kind of nice lodge/ slash it was for intents and, all intents and purposes. It was an Airbnb, <laughs> um, but but get this: it had a pickleball court on its <gasps> on its parking patch. So oh, it was it was made for you to visit. <laughs> it was so I um it was kind of tucked very close to the house, so that kind of impeded a couple shots. But I taught both my daughters how to play, and my nephew who took it up so quickly, I didn't realize it was his first time playing. That's funny. <laughs> yes. So uh, my younger daughter, who's very very athletic and sporty. She picked it up really quickly. My 21-year-old daughter, who 
just the athletic and competitive genes just skipped a generation. So, <laughs> so it wasn't so much her thing. Yes, it was not her thing. And, but it was, and she and I, I got a little short tempered with her. It was, which was wrong of me, but th- we kept switching partners. And so when she played with her cousin, the 28 year old, he was super sweet and understanding and very encouraging of her. Um, but the thing, one thing I really liked, well, two things. One was, my nephew had brought along a little portable speaker and I love listening to kind of dance music while playing pickleball. um, That sounds like a lot of fun. It's very fun. And so, and he and my younger daughter are both inclined to just start singing out loud, really loudly. So they did some of that on the pickleball court. And then also Daphne, my 17 year old, she was very encouraging. And so like, if I'd run for a shot or make a good shot, she'd be like, good job, mama, you go mama. That's that's so wonderful. (laughs) It was really cute. And then even sometimes she'd say it a little too soon because then like my daring shot, you know, hit the net or something. (laughs) It went out of bounds. uh, She's like, oh, mama. Oh, (laughs) so you stayed in the South for uh, both your trips. Yes. So we had a we had a sort of like a de facto birthday party for my mother where near her people in North Carolina. And then <laughs> last weekend we were in in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. At, my niece got married at the nice. Fox Theater in downtown Atlanta. And we, we stayed in a hotel right across the street. Mm. And as it happens, that's um, just one mile from our childhood home. Oh, how wonderful. So, yeah, my sister and I got up and went for a run. We ran by our childhood oh. home and park and our high school. So, oh boy, memory lane. Yeah, that was really fun, and it was really fun. Uh-huh. And it was, you know, anybody who returns to your childhood area, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, it, there's always that thing of, oh, it's so much smaller now. It seems so much smaller. <laughs> <laughs> like the park across the street, the park across the street from where I grew up. I can remember the first time I ran all the way around the park. Yeah, mm -hmm, all mm -hmm. the way around. And because there were no GPS then, you had to get in your car and drive. Yes, yes, of course. (laughs) Right. And I have probably told this story before. Do you know how far it was to go all the way around the park, Sarah? No, I do not. (laughs) Nine tenths of a mile. (gasps) Oh, yay. And you ran the whole way, Tish. That's fabulous. I did. I I had to lie down afterwards. Some smelling salts. <laughs> and I told my family, they're like, oh my God, why did you do that? That's so long. Why would you run all the way around the park? <laughs> this from a woman who has now run more than 50 marathons. <laughs> gotta start somewhere, Tish. You gotta yeah, start somewhere. Yeah, so we were all laughing about that because mm-hmm. we, all, you know, now pretty much everybody in my family runs to some degree. And, yes, uh, uh-huh. and so it was, it was very funny to talk about running all the way around the park. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. And which birthday number was it for your mother? 95. Mm, That's wonderful. That's wonderful. And she still does her daily walks. She does still do her daily walks. Wow. uh, It's, it's, you know, it's like slightly more or less than one mile. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, when she's not feeling as well, it gets against down to three quarters of a mile. But mm-hmm. but my she lives with my sister, and my sister's really good about keeping her going because my mother does sometimes complain about it. she doesn't want to do it. She doesn't want mm. this is this is a lesson for all of us all the time, right? <laughs> we don't want to do it beforehand, but afterwards we're really glad we did it. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! And so she does not use a walker or anything like that. 
she she's getting a little wobbly mm-hmm. um but uh again my sister's really trying to keep her I mean, she does have a walking stick, but the thing okay. is that kind of that sort of throws her balance off. Oh, it's cool. almost better when she doesn't have it hmm. because then she's not relying on it as much. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, it's, you know, as we age, it just gets more and more important to maintain balance and yes. all those all those little muscles in your feet and mm-hmm. ankles and mm-hmm. on both sides of your legs that keep you balanced. Sure. Yeah. Um, So as long as she can still walk without it, then, then, you know, we're trying to have her do that. And she is definitely more comfortable in a familiar setting. So like in Atlanta, you know, she, she doesn't know the area we were, you know, we were holding her hand or letting her Mm -hmm. hold onto an arm, but, Mm -hmm. but when she's walking at at her own home, Mm -hmm. uh, my sister tries to, to keep her walking on her own power. Nice, nice, nice. Well, yeah. that's fabulous. Well, yeah. belated, belated happy birthday to your Thank mother. Thank you. Thank you for asking yes, about that. Yes, yes, yes. All right. Well, our guest today is Terry Rupp. She's an avid runner whose blog is titled Blind Mom in the Burbs. Terry, a mom of a preteen son and daughter, is an advocate and leader in the blindness community who doesn't let blindness slow her down, metaphorically and literally. In addition to being a blogger, Terry is a consultant and motivational speaker. She and her family live in Las Vegas. Terry is days away from a 100-mile ultramarathon. So thanks for joining us today, Terry. We should have had you on years ago when you first contacted me. Oh, I'm just so glad to be here. I've been listening to Another Mother Runner, I think, for five years. Nice. Thank you. Thank you for your loyalty. So, Terry, you you are a self-described blind mom in the burbs. And um, can we start first by talking about about your blindness so folks can understand your situation? Because I think a lot of us don't quite understand that there's a spectrum of, of sight that blind people may have. Yes, absolutely. So I am blind mom in the burbs. That's my blog. That's my Instagram handle. And I live in the suburbs of Las Vegas. I have some usable degree of functional eyesight, but it's not very functional. I grew up feeling like I had, I was sitting on in between not quite sighted and not quite blind. Um, My family came to the US. I was just about to turn two years old. We immigrated here from Thailand after my parents left Cambodia because of the uh, war-torn Pol Pot regime. And my parents found themselves not just being new to the country, but navigating the healthcare system, um, trying to figure out what was wrong with their daughter's eyesight. I have an eye condition called optic nerve atrophy. So there's nothing wrong with my eyes, but everything that's processed from my eyes through my optic nerves doesn't reach my brain because my optic nerve has atrophied so much as a kid and continues to get weaker as I get older. And it's significantly noticeable now, especially after the pandemic years of not having to do as much. So when I was younger, I used to be able to run around and ride a bike independently. Mm. I could read books with large print. When I got to high school, I had to read large print books with a magnifier. When I got to college, it got more and more difficult. I was staying up half the night trying to finish my work. 
And I started using my cane. I would pull it out, use it to uh, get around campus. And I met other blind people who were living thriving lives. And Mm. they had blindness skills that I had no idea where to even begin accessing. Mm. I learned that these people got their blindness skills training from um, what's often called the boot camp for the blind. It's uh, one of the National Federation of the Blind Training Centers. We have three of them. I went to the Louisiana Center for the Blind. Mm. I flew halfway across the country to do a very intensive nine-month training program where because I have some usable eyesight, I did it all under a blindfold, which we call sleep shades. Mm. Mm. It was eight hours a day, five days a week, where I learned how to travel with a long white cane. I learned how to read Braille. I learned how to use accessible technology, Mm. cooking, cleaning. um, And I even took a woodshop class. That's one of the requirements. (laughs) And you still have all 10 digits on your hands? I do. I do. (laughs) Um, So, Terry, I love this quote from a 2018 profile of you in Good Housekeeping magazine. You said, I can do just about anything except drive and there's Uber for that. Yes, I can. And I live every day showing my kids that I can. Mm. That's that's so awesome. And it's a good segue into how you got into running. Tell us about how you got started running because you haven't been running for that long ago in the big picture. I think it's maybe six years. That's right. I was running around the block just trying to lose baby weight off and on in the safety of my tiny gated community. And I've always had this itch that I wanted to run a marathon. I heard a couple presentations from blind runners. And I I heard about this group called Achilles International, where they pair sighted volunteers with blind runners. Uh, One morning, I got a call from a guy named John Sterling, who had read a Runner's World article about a blind guy that ran the New York City Marathon. And he did all the same training. He just needed a friend to run with. So John was super excited about it. He had just run the St. George Marathon. And he was new to Las Vegas and getting involved in the running community and wanted to get back. So he called Achilles International. And he said, how do I get involved? I want to be a guide for a blind runner. They told him there was no local chapter. So being a fellow Aries, John (laughs) took it upon himself to start a local chapter. He started calling around to blindness organizations. And at the time, I was president of the National Federation of the Blind of Nevada. And being such a small small affiliate, the phone number listed went straight to my cell phone number. So he (laughs) called me and he says, hi, I'm John. I'm looking for blind runners. And I said, hey, I want to run. Let's do it. So we met up a couple days later in a local park because he could have just been some psycho. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. we ran slash walked two miles. At the end of our run, he asked me, what do you want to do? What's your running goal? And I said, I want to run a marathon. And he asked me what marathon. And in his head, he was saying, please don't say rock and roll. Please don't say rock and roll. <laughs> and of course, I said, I want to run the rock, the Las Vegas rock and roll marathon. Ooh, so crowded. 
so crowded. Mm-hmm. It was it was so intense, but it was amazing. It was so much fun. I had so many guides. I had to turn guides away. <laughs> we just had so much ball. fun. <laughs> we yeah, it was such a party. Um, and we, I think the training that went into getting to that first marathon start line was really what pulled the Achilles Las Vegas community together and and jump start the Achilles Las Vegas family. Mm. Since then, I have run the St. George Marathon three times. I have run the Jackpot Ultra Running Festival. Oh, gosh, I forgot how many times. Mm. I did a 50K and then in my first 72-hour event, I did 115 miles. And the second one, I did 150 miles. And recently, I DNF'd my 100-miler. And that's on top of the unofficial races that we put on during the COVID years. Mm-hmm. So those are like such amazing accomplishments, Terry. Many, many congratulations on all those mileage. And there's a lot to unpack there. My mind is kind of spinning with all with all these miles. But I want to get back to something like really basic, which is when you go on an everyday run, um, do you have a guide for that as well? I do not. I live in a really small gated community with less than 300 houses. And I've lived here since 2010. There is barely any traffic. I run right in the middle of the street and just go to the left or right if I hear a car coming. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's in the shape of a, a capital letter B. So I just do a 1.1 mile loop on my own. I do um, between six to 10 miles a day, three, three to four days a week. Mm. Um, I do a lot of walking in the neighborhood as well. We have some great green belt trails mm. and when I can, it's been extra difficult lately with my son being sick and finding rides and guides. I get together with my running friends or, um, the local Achilles running group that, meets over the weekends. Hmm. So when you go on those walks on those green belt trails, you have a bit more freedom. You use your cane then when you go on walks, is that it? Yes, okay. I use my cane uh, when I leave the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I don't like to run with my cane. Yes, oh, I can see that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I am on the wait list to get paired with a running guide dog from Guiding mm. Eyes in New oh. York. Mm. Cool. Mm, Very cool. Very cool. Well, we will hear more details about that and more. We're going to take a brief break to hear from the brands that bring you this podcast. Stay with us. We'll be back soon. So you mentioned a running guide dog. Is that different than kind of the just a regular guide dog? I mean, is there kind of a, a next level of training that a running guide dog goes through? Yeah, it's a guide dog that loves to run Mm -hmm. and has gone through an extra level of training, just Mm -hmm. like you said, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to guide and run at the same time. I think this is the only school that has this program. The CEO of Guiding Eyes is blind himself Mm -hmm. and ran the New York City Half Marathon with his running guide dogs. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. That is wonderful. Do you have any sense of how long that the wait might be to get a dog like that? 
Last I checked, they said 12 to 14 months. Mm, and you're, so, okay. And how long have you been waiting? About a year. Oh, okay. About a year. It's There's definitely a backlog of applicants because they weren't able to breed during the COVID years. Oh, okay. Hmm. All right. Okay. So let's talk about your sporty spring. Um, for starters, Aries, uh, happy belated birthday. <laughs> and, uh, Thank you. Yeah, Thank yeah. You. So tell us about the big bike ride you did with your husband to mark your 40th birthday. We rode from Whitney Peak Portal mm-hmm. all the way to almost all the way to Badwater. Mm. The goal was to ride from the top of the switchbacks at Whitney Portal Road, but the road was closed because of ice. Mm. And we rode for 14 hours, about 125 miles, Mm -hmm. with my dad driving along as our crew vehicle. Wow. And you all were on a a tandem bike, you should say. On the tandem bike. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's Mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. And just, I believe... Uh, six miles before reaching Badwater, we called it quits because the <laughs> the weather report told us that there were going to be severe life-threatening winds mm. on Monday. So we pushed our ride to Sunday and the winds came early. <laughs> so, oh boy. Wow. Okay. But it was still an incredible accomplishment. This is something he's always wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And I love Death Valley Badwater has an extra special place in my heart because I dream of running the Badwater 135 one day. Mm-hmm. And we love spending time on long bike rides. In 2021, we were a part of six teams of tandem cyclists where each bike had a blind athlete and mm-hmm. rode 365 miles wow. from Salt Lake City to St. George, Utah in five days wow. and then ran the St. George Marathon oh. the next day. Because <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't enough. Uh. <laughs> that was, our goal was just to finish it before they cut it off, <laughs> and you, which we did. <laughs> oh, great. Oh, congratulations. That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> and we're actually... Today, when I'm done with this interview, are taking off to Pathfinder Ranch. It's a summer camp in Southern California outside of Palm Springs. And we're doing the uh, Beyond Limits Ultra mm. hosted by Beyond Limits Running. Mm. Ken and Stephanie Rubley were the ones who invited me into the running ultra running world. So I'm super excited. My husband does not run. Mm-hmm. He does backpacking adventures. He's summited Whitney and Kilimanjaro. Mm. And so he's accustomed to these long endurance events. So we're going to walk 100 miles starting Friday morning. Wow. And hopefully finish Saturday afternoon sometime. Wow. That's much sooner than I was expecting you to say. <laughs> wow. Carrie, oh, you clearly are someone who likes ultra endurance events. You're looking for challenges that take a long time. Um, so you, you're, when you said we're going to do this, are you and your husband walking this together, the 100 mile? And also, like, what's the course like? Is it a loop or is it it can't be point to point? Yes, he, my husband is doing this with me. The course is a two mile loop around the property of the summer camp. So we'll loop past 
cabins and the aid station and the cafeteria. It's been advertised that a lot of the runners take off and go canoeing in the middle of the day. <laughs> so we plan to have our, our van set up right on the race course with everything that we might need and even maybe just walk with a massage gun with us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Wow. A, n- a new spin on the Second Amendment there. Um, <laughs> so, so you mentioned that someone kind of uh, pulled you into the ultra marathon community Tell us about that. Like how many half marathons and marathons have you done before you did an ultra? And also within that answer, tell us what it is about the Badwater 135 that calls to you so much. Well, I've lost count of half marathons. Okay. So, <laughs> In just six I, years. All right. Okay. <laughs> I've done a few turkey trots. I did the Red Rock Twilight 5K, a couple of recycle half marathons and the local Happy Hippie Harvest. But I always had the goal of doing the marathon. And when I did that rock and roll marathon, I actually didn't run the full 26.2 because there was a little discrepancy at the end of the race with one of the out and back miles. Mm. So I only ran 24.2. So I felt like I had to get my redemption race. (laughs) So that's why I signed up for St. George a year later. I did finish St. George, but I was feeling so lousy during the race. I just had major tummy issues and I was not happy with it. So the next January, I was asked if I would be interested in running a 50K at the local ultra running festival. And I said, sure, why not? It's only a couple miles more. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's how I got invited into ultra running. Ken and Stephanie Rubley started Beyond Limits running after Stephanie had her double transplant, her pancreas and kidney, and they wanted to give back to the running community. And Jackpot is a loop ultra and happens to be at the park that Achilles Las Vegas runs at. So I already know that park. I've already run hundreds of miles there. It's just a huge running festival. So much fun. So I did jackpot. I ran that and I ran my 50K. Then COVID happened mm. and everything got shut down. I was so excited. My uh, Some running friends and I had signed up for Nanny Goat in Riverside And that got shut down. So we decided to put on our own ultra in my neighborhood in the (laughs) 1.1 mile loop. No. no, We did. (laughs) My garage was the aid station. And we called it Monkey Goat because we were just monkeying around. (laughs) So I did 54 miles at Monkey Goat. And then when jackpot registration opened up again for the next year, I thought, you know what? I did 54 miles. They're opening up a 72 hour. I wonder how much I could do. Mm. So I signed up for that, but then that was postponed again (laughs) because Mm. of COVID. So I and a few girlfriends decided, you know what? We're trained. We're going to do this anyway. Let's do our own hundred. So we did And we called it the Crackpot 100. (laughs) (laughs) And I woke up, uh, started running with friends who showed up, took turns running with me in my neighborhood at 8 a.m. on a Friday morning, finished 50 miles around midnight, 
went to sleep. I woke up and started running again at 8 a.m. Saturday morning and finished 100 miles right around midnight that Saturday night. Wow. And what what type of support do you get from your neighbors? Do they just, speaking of crackpot, do they just think you are a crackpot? Or, uh... They are amazing. They have put out uh, coolers of Gatorade and water. They come out with a beer. They wait for me with tequila shots. <laughs> they are the best neighbors. Oh, nice. And the, all those alcoholic beverages are for them, not you, right? <laughs> Well, I joined them for a shot or two uh, and then keep running. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so these are really long distances you're talking about. And I'm curious, like, do you do you have a Achilles guide to run the whole way with you? Or do you have to, like, get people to do, like, uh, segments, segments of it? Yes, there are so many logistics when it comes to these long distances. For the marathon, I have one guide. I'm allowed one guide at most races. Some local races let me have more than one guide. But for these longer ultra marathons, I have a schedule of guides. We make a sign-up list on Sign Up Genius, and people sign up for however long they want to run. And it's almost like a Ragnar, but I'm the baton, so they just pass me <laughs> along. <laughs> Oh my goodness. So we need to go back. I realized you didn't answer what it is, but what's the siren song of Badwater 135 for you? Oh, yes. And tell folks what that is for people who don't know. Badwater 135 is known as the world's toughest foot race. Mm. It starts in Badwater in the lowest point in the continent US in Death Valley, and it takes place in July where temperatures have been known to get up to as high as 130 degrees. Mm. I live in Las Vegas, so that's really nothing to me. (laughs) (laughs) You run across Death Valley over three mountain ranges, and the end of the race is at Whitney Peak Portal. Whitney Peak is the highest peak in the continental U.S. When I first heard about Badwater, I thought people were crazy. I thought it was the scariest thing to run in the desert, in the middle of summer, where your shoes are known to melt. But as I was finishing that first 72-hour jackpot, I was walking with a very well-known ultra runner. People know him as the Jester. Mm. Ed asked if he could walk with me, and he was actually on his podcast recording that morning. Mm. And he had thrown out the number 135 to me earlier during the race when we first met and I didn't know what that meant so I asked him why did you ask why did you encourage me to do 135 and he explained all about bad water 135 and he said Terry you can do it it's road race and he just lit that fire and since then it's been a, an obsession for me. Mm. If if I if I need a little motivation when I'm doing those boring loops around my neighborhood, I just put on the Badwater 135 documentaries on YouTube <laughs> and pretend that I'm running along. And oh <laughs> when they're finishing the finish line, I'm there with them. <laughs> oh my goodness! You mentioned the the road piece of it. So because of your blindness, the uh, trail ultras are not an option. They are much more difficult. Mm -hmm. Here in Las Vegas, definitely a lot more difficult because of the terrain and the scrambling that you have to do. If it was in other parts of the country, 
like places that I've gone to, like in the redwood forests or around Yellowstone and Arizona and things like that. I could definitely do it. I think I I have the Havilena 100 on my bucket list. Mm. I'm signed up for the Canal Corridor in the fall, and I just saw there's another Rails to Trails one in Kansas I'd like to do next year. But it's just there's so much more work. We came up with a, a communicating system where my guides would say, one, two, or three, which lets me know of how high I need to pick up my foot if it's mm. a rolling rock or if it's a stable rock I need to step up. So up two, mm. down one. So we have done it. It's just we haven't had that time or opportunity to get out there and do the training. Mm. Wow. And you mentioned earlier on about that blind boot camp that you went to in Louisiana. So I'm imagining that the skills that you learned there kind of can carry over to running and perhaps cycling. Is that the case? Yes. It gave me the skills that I needed. It gave me extra tools for my toolbox. Mm -hmm. The confidence I got in myself, the self-advocacy skills, Mm -hmm. and just knowing that if I really wanted something hard enough, I can make it happen. We've all heard about the 10,000-hour rule from Malcolm Gladwell, but Mm -hmm. In addition to the 10,000 hours of training that I literally put in at the Louisiana Center for the Blind, I have the support here at home. I have the financial means to do things like this. So I have more than the 10,000 hours behind me and mm-hmm. the the skills that I've gained at the center. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. So your your daughter is also blind. I think she's got the same situation that you have and and also a runner. So talk about being a mom who is a role model. That is my job. (laughs) That's my job. And I am very passionate about the fact that I made the choice to be a stay-at-home mom. Mm. I could have pursued a career, but it doesn't fit with our family's lifestyle. Mm -hmm. I get to be here to set an example for both kids. My daughter is 13 now, Mm -hmm. and my son is 11 and they see their mom doing all kinds of things. They, She brags at school, oh, my mom's doing another 100-mile race this weekend. <laughs> um, she has the same eye condition as me. When she was uh, about 18 months, we started seeing similar symptoms. But we were told that she had something completely different. And we... We just kind of went along with it with the other diagnosis until we realized that her eyesight wasn't getting better. So we saw another doctor for a second opinion, and we're told that she has optic nerve atrophy, and a huge weight was just lifted off our shoulders. There was no false hope. There was just no uncertainties. It was just like, oh, okay, well, we know what to do. She's going to be fine. So... Ever since she started school, we've been advocating for Braille. Um, We definitely had some tough years with the school district because she has some usable eyesight. And it's discouraged that if you have usable eyesight, you don't need to learn Braille. Mm. So I'm a huge proponent for Braille for all kids with vision loss. Super, super passionate about Braille. And my daughter is now a thriving middle schooler. She's taking all accelerated courses. She was able to, to thrive during the distance learning um, pandemic years. And she doesn't love running as much as I do, but she loves collecting race medals. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So she does it for the swag. Mm -hmm. 
her thing is jujitsu. She um, she loves jujitsu, and mm. she's always super bummed out when she's not able to make it to a class because there's not transportation. Mm. All right. So, Terry, you mentioned earlier on that you DNF'd in a ultra. I know that was last month. So, can you share a bit about how you dealt with that, kind of mentally and emotionally? I think I'm still processing it. Mm. I was talking to my husband about it last night, and I actually started crying. Mm. <laughs> There is a lot that went into this most recent race. I, I think I put too much pressure on myself knowing that I needed to get all of these 100 milers so that I could run bad water. Mm-hmm. My son has not been well. We've been dealing with over 18 months of chronic stomach issues. And we're actually flying out to the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota later this month mm. um, to find some answers for him. So a lot of my attention has been scattered. Mm-hmm. And I haven't had the time to get out and regularly regularly run and train with my long run guides. Mm-hmm. There is there's a huge difference with regular running guides and long run guides and especially experienced ultra running guides. So so many things happen this spring. Um guides, family members passed away, people uh were training for different races and I kind of had to just piece together the race on uh, the sign up genius and a lot of them were inexperienced and hadn't done ultras themselves so i didn't have the 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 pacers who would usually say you're fine you're mm. fine and i let the gremlins get to me my stomach started bothering me my bladder started bothering me once i got cold i was done Apparently, a lot of other people DNF that race, too, because of the 50-mile-hour mm. winds. <laughs> but, I mean, I did finish over 54 miles, so I have to give myself credit for that. I did accomplish a lot, but yeah. it's it was just a huge lesson to me that I can't control everything. Being an Aries, I always try to control everything. <laughs> and that's why I'm going into this race a lot more relaxed. All we want to do is finish. We're going to take our time. We're going to eat. We're going to stretch and we're just going to keep moving. Um, There's no pressure. So when you go into a longer race like this, you you mentioned having stomach issues and you just talked about eating during the race. Do you like, what do you eat? What, what's your like favorite pre-race food? And does it vary based on the distance and what do you eat during? It does. It does vary on the distance. Um, My favorite pre-race food is avocado toast, Mm. a nice yummy piece of sourdough bread and avocados um, is my favorite. I also love bananas. So I eat a ton of bananas during the race, a ton of fruit, bananas, oranges, blueberries. I love the Mama Chia squeeze pouches. Mm. So uh, blackberry is my favorite flavor. I have gotten into trouble by eating eight station food a few times mm. this me- this most recent race i went to the eight station looking for boiled potatoes but i was offered a bacon potato egg burrito and it happened to be one of the last two burritos so it probably been sitting there for Ooh. a couple hours because <laughs> i asked for it at 11 o'clock mm-hmm. and I, instantly i i started feeling nauseous. Mm. And once the nausea comes on, it takes a lot of work and a long time of walking for it to go away. Mm-hmm. And, and and having to walk so early in the race is detrimental mm-hmm. to me mentally, just mm-hmm. feeling that I wasn't 
where I wanted to be. And when, when I, I don't even remember where I was when I reached 50 miles, but it was already dark and I was hoping to reach 50 miles before it got dark. Mm-hmm. So just having those little things one after another hit me, I, I just couldn't go. I couldn't push on. Mm-hmm. Mm. Sounds like a smart decision. A lot of factors going into it. Yeah. So if we could go back to um, something that you mentioned earlier, uh, you were born in Cambodia, and then your family eventually came to the United States. Can you talk a little bit about what it's like to being a woman of color in the in the running world? You know, despite being blind, I suspect it doesn't escape your notice that running is an overwhelmingly white sport. You know, I've actually never thought about that before. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) I, um, I've noticed that when we camp because our family loves camping, Mm -hmm. we do multi-day or multi-week, multi-state road trips all the time. And we've, we've had this discussion about camping and it is primarily white people that we see (laughs) out and we see, uh, a lot of, um, Indian people from from East India. We see Asian people every now and then. We might see Hispanic people, but we rarely see African American people mm. out when we're camping. Mm-hmm. But I've never really paid attention to the demographic of runners. But mm. yeah, you're right. I guess it is primarily a white sport. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, I think that's good. You haven't noticed it, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> In my own running community, we are pretty diverse. Oh, nice. Nice. That's awesome. That's awesome. And not as common as it should be. So so even better to hear that coming from you. So I want to go back to something you talked about earlier, which is Braille and and that you learned it, your daughter knows it. And tell can you tell us about Braille across America? Braille across America came about during the pandemic years. It is a virtual fundraiser to bring awareness and support the Braille programs of National Braille Press. I was invited by a very good friend of mine, Lisa Maria Martinez, to sit in on a focus group conversation because National Braille Press wasn't able to do their annual fundraising event that they do with the Boston Marathon. Mm. Being somebody who loves Braille and love running, loves running, I said, yeah, absolutely. So I joined in and got involved in the planning of the very first Braille Across America. Virtually, we get teams to run from Boston to San Francisco and then back to Boston. Mm. Um, And as we're doing this, we are raising funds. It costs three times as much to produce a Braille book as it does for a print book. Mm. And so Braille readers have less books to choose from and access to less leisure reading materials. Mm. So I... I'm participating for the third year. Um, Last year, my daughter did 130 miles in 33, no, I'm sorry, 120 miles in 33 days. Mm -hmm. And I met my goal of 365 miles a day for each day of the year, a mile for each day of the year. Mm -hmm. And this year we are in our last week. Boston Marathon Day is the last day of Braille Across America. Mm -hmm. And I haven't done as well as I have done in the past in fundraising. So I got to get off and start doing some more of that. But it's been fun. It's We have some great friendly competition with our team members. 
And, and, and it's just been fun seeing everybody and having my neighbors ask me about, what are you running for again? What is, what are you training for again? And mm. being able to tell them about Braille Across America again this year. Mm. That's nice. That's nice. Yes. Yeah, so we're going to link to your Instagram account in the show notes. And I know you have the link to Braille Across America several times in there. That's how I found it yesterday and, and donated it in memory of my dad, who I told you was very low vision due to three detached retinas in his lifetime. So thank you for doing that and raising those funds. All right. Well, we will be thinking of you this weekend and in the coming months with all your adventures. You're just uh, really an inspiration for all runners. So thank you, Terry, for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Thank you. Wow. She has accomplished a lot in six years. <laughs> I, I'm just, I'm so impressed and, and inspired and just can't believe like all these uh, crazy long distances and how long it takes her. And she's so up for doing it again and again and again. Good oh, for her. I know. Exactly. Wow. And uh, Badwater 135, that is. Um, no, uh, it's not on my to-do list, <laughs> but I'm very glad that it's on hers. Yes. yes. Hats <laughs> off to you, Terry. Hats <laughs> off to you. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, um, we will be heading to a desert, not uh, a high desert, not a low desert, and not quite as hot. That will be in June for our Redmond, Oregon retreat. That's June 9th through 12th. We have just, I think, about two spots left. So if you've been sitting on the fence, hop off the fence, head on over to anothermotherrunner.com and click on events to register for that. Or if that's a little too soon or Redmond, Oregon's not on your radar, how about Hilton Head Island? That's going to be November 3 through 6. We have a a half marathon and a quarter marathon. That's the cornerstone of that event. We bring in speakers. Uh, Dimity's there. Our hotel is right on the ocean. Uh, my co-host Tish Hamilton's going to be there. Uh, <laughs> and I am so excited to be there. It's going to be a beautiful time and I'm super looking forward to it. Oh, we are so excited to finally bring you to one of our retreats. You're going to be a presenter. I'm going to tap you to lead a couple runs there, Tish. So right. um, I think you can sit by the fire pits and you know, and enjoy some Southern hospitality. It's all going to be a fabulous time. Again, you can sign up for one or both of those events. You get a discount if you sign up for both of our 2023 retreats. You can go to anothermotherrunner.com, click on events, and please know we have a firm payment plan for anything and everything on our site if you want to spread payments out a bit. Our podcast today was produced in St. Paul, Minnesota by Barry Medore from Fire on the Bluff. Okay, well, this is airing on Friday, so... Um, oh, yeah. wait, this Friday? Yes, day after tomorrow, yes. Uh -huh. Oh, that's Bar awesome. Works Wonders. I'll, I'll yeah. be there in my race. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Listen to her in the race. I will. <laughs> <laughs>